Good evening, everyone. So we'll be reading 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, page number 1186. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, you know we never used flattery, nor did, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, nor from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we care for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentile so that they may be saved. In this way, they ought. They always heap up their skin, sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Thank you, Delphine. And uh, if you could keep that passage open, that would be really helpful. Um, it's on page 1186 of the Church Bibles, uh, if you need to look it up. But let's pray as we prepare to look at God's Word together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we pray that you would do that this evening as we look at your word together. Please, would you be at work? Give us open hearts and minds to hear what you want to say to us this evening and uh, build us up as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, as I said earlier, the main theme for our passage this evening is how Christian imitation is pleasing to God, and we're going to look at this part of Paul's letter under three headings, success despite opposition, growth through imitation, and checking our motivation. 
So first of all, success despite opposition, which we see in verses 1 and 2 and 13 to 16. As we heard in the video just now, Paul is writing uh, this letter to the church in Thessalonica because he's had to run away from Thessalonica because of opposition and persecution. People were responding to the gospel, but the Jews were unhappy, and there was basically a bit of a riot. You can read about it in Acts 17. At the end of our passage here in verses 14 to 16, Paul talks really strongly about the opposition that the early church is and has been facing and the obstacles the Jews are causing to the good news of Jesus being shared with everyone, including the Gentiles. Just as an aside, especially in the light of uh, current situation in the Middle East, it's perhaps worth clarifying that when Paul criticizes the Jews, it's not because he's anti-Semitic. Paul himself was a Jew, And he cares about the Jews. And we see evidence of this in various places, including in Romans 9 and 10. For example, when Paul says in the first verse of Romans 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, in other words, the Jews, is that they may be saved. He cares about them and wants them to know Jesus as Saviour. But as he is uh, writing this letter to the Thessalonians, he's angry that his fellow Jews first opposed Jesus and that they're now trying to hinder the spread of the gospel. So because of this opposition, Paul has had to leave Thessalonica. It may seem as though he's failed right early on in his ministry. The first place he goes to set up a church community and he's had to bail out. But actually, Paul had successfully set up a church And he's now writing to them to encourage and teach and guide them. I've actually seen it so many times in my life as a Christian. When God is at work, when Christians are flourishing and being fruitful, or even just when Christians are being willing to step out for God, the devil will lob obstacles in the way to try to distract us and to try to thwart what God is doing. Interestingly, even this week, as I've been preparing this message, I've had all sorts of distractions and discouragements, um, including on Friday, my mum falling and bashing her head and having to be rushed into hospital. She is back home now and doing okay, and thank you for people who've prayed for her. Um, But it's easy, isn't it, for us to just see uh, and focus on those obstacles and be discouraged, or maybe even think we're doing something wrong. But if we're walking in step with the Spirit, we should in fact be encouraged when we encounter obstacles, oppression, or even persecution, as it's often a sign that God is at work, that he's doing something good in us or through us. And that's the case here in Thessalonica, as it was in other new churches in the first century. And Paul reminds the church of this in verse 1 of our passage. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Yeah, actually, his visit went okay. And he goes on to explain in the next verse, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. And then we see the result of this in verse 13, where it says, uh, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, 
but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. God is at work in Thessalonica. Despite opposition and what humanly might look like a bit of a failure, Paul's visit has been a success for the kingdom of God. And given all this, why, why do Paul and his companions continue to travel around sharing the gospel, as we can read in the book of Acts? Why do they keep daring to do so, as Paul puts it, even in the face of strong opposition? I mean, Paul eventually ended up in prison for sharing the gospel. Why? Why do they do this? Well, because he and his companions know that Jesus is worth it. They have experienced God's undeserved kindness and forgiveness through Jesus and his death and resurrection. Paul himself, previously going by the name of Saul, was in charge of violent persecution of Christians. But then he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. You can read about it in Acts 9 if you want to. And Paul was transformed as a result of that encounter with Jesus. He recognized that he deserved the wrath of God, which he refers to in verse 16 of our passage. But he also understood that Jesus had taken that wrath on himself instead at the cross. Knowing Jesus as his Lord and Savior was so good, so transformational for Paul. He wanted to tell everyone about the love of God shown in Jesus. Now, if you're here this evening and you haven't yet encountered Jesus, why not pray and ask him to reveal himself to you? Maybe read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You might even want to read it with a Christian friend. Or come along uh, for the next three Wednesdays, starting this Wednesday, to the Hope Explored course. But find out who Jesus is. Find out the difference he can make to your life just as he did for the Apostle Paul and for many of us here tonight. And if you're here and you have already had your life transformed by Jesus, then let's keep reminding ourselves of all that he's done for us, just as we did earlier when we shared communion together. And as we remind ourselves of all that Jesus has done, then hopefully we won't be able to help but tell others how good God is even if we might encounter opposition as a result. So, success despite opposition. And then secondly, growth through imitation in verses 7 to 12. Now, this passage says quite a bit about relationships within the church and about how we grow as Christians. This church here in Thessalonica is a baby church. And how do babies learn to do things? They learn by watching their parents or carers or older siblings and imitating them. And Paul says to the Thessalonians at the beginning of this letter, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you became imitators of us and the, of the Lord. We learn in lots of different ways, but perhaps most of all through imitation, often without even realizing it. As Christians, we want to imitate Jesus, don't we? But it's also good to have human uh, role models. Paul and his companions are role models for this church in Thessalonica. And in this middle part of our passage, he reminds them of how he was when he was with them. 
So the question is not whether or not we will be imitators, because it's basically just part of who we are as human beings. But the question is who or what will we imitate? I wonder who we've imitated or who we still model ourselves on. Just take a minute now to think about who's been a role model to you in your life, especially in your Christian journey. Maybe it's someone currently, maybe it's someone in the past who's impacted your growth as a Christian. So hopefully we've, we've had some good role models, but it's important to recognize too that we are role models for others. We may or may not be aware of it. A bit like when I sometimes hear parents of young children just cringing because they've heard their young children uh, coming out with the exact phrases that they as parents have used. Others will end up imitating us. So it'd be good to think as well about who might see us as a role model. It may be in an official capacity because you have some position of leadership, whether in the church or um, in a, a secular work role or whatever. It may be less formal than that. Uh, perhaps you're a role model for people younger than you in the church in a general sense, or for your children or godchildren or nieces or nephews. People in your home group, perhaps. If you're single, maybe you're a role model for other single people. If you're married, perhaps you're a role model for more newly married couples. It's good to be aware that others may be imitating us, even unknowingly, and to ensure that we're imitating Jesus. Now, when we talk about imitating, we need to be clear what, what we mean, because often when we talk about imitation, we are sort of talking about copying, aren't we? I wonder if ever, any of you have ever um, experienced any of Chris Webb's imitations of accents and voices uh, that he sometimes treats us to in his sermons. If you haven't experienced it, hopefully we've got just a very short video clip giving you a little taster. <laughs> He's going to kill me for this. It's a nightmare being a butcher that smells different. Every time I go to a nightclub and I'm chatting up a girl, they're always vegetarian. Just say no. God's gonna forgive me, innit? Round and round the poles, sort of hang there. Round and round, remember who you are. I'm gonna set that bird free. Round and round the poles. <laughs> if he starts it, you finish it. Go back to the shadows. If he starts it, run as fast as you can. Everybody's killed off. Clovelliol is a dangerous place. If you can't teach here, you can't teach nowhere. Let the healing begin. The force is strong with this one. But it's a nightmare <laughs> being a butcher that smells different. Thank Every you. Time I think... I go to a... <laughs> Thank you. I don't think we need to say it twice. And thanks to Josh Pryor, who I think put that together once upon a time. Sorry, Chris. But when Chris does his imitations, great as they are, I may say, He's basically copying the accent or voice, isn't he? But when we talk about imitating Jesus, we need to be not just copying him, but identifying with him at a fundamental level. Not just copying his actions, but imitating his character. How do we do that? Well, to imitate the character of Jesus, we need to know him, don't we? And we can get to know him by reading the Bible, by spending time with him in prayer. 
And there are some useful Christian books as well, such as uh, this one, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, which can help us to understand what, God, what Jesus is like. Thankfully, we can also ask the Holy Spirit to help us. If we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives in us and is changing us to make us more like Jesus. I think a striking thing in this passage is that Paul makes it clear that we don't learn best just through being taught at arm's length. Yes, of course, public preaching and teaching is important, but if it was just about that, then we wouldn't really need a church community, would we? Especially nowadays, we could just watch talks online and read good books like this one. We need to understand the Bible, but we also need to see it lived out. And that's what we can experience within the community of the church. Paul says in verse 8 of our passage, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So I wonder if we can be people who do that here at Above Bar, not just talking the gospel, but living the gospel and sharing our lives with one another. That might mean we need to see people outside of Sunday gatherings or other formal activities. What can we do to uh, create opportunities to share our lives with one another? We often refer to our church community as a church family, and it's clear from this passage that that's what it should be like. Three times in this part of the letter, Paul addresses the readers, the Christians in Thessalonica, as brothers and sisters. Paul talks about himself and his companions having been with the Thessalonians like young children in verse 7. In other words, being humble rather than trying to assert uh, their authority. In the second part of verse 7, we read that they cared for the Thessalonians just as a nursing mother cares for her children. And then in verse 11, Paul says that he and his companions dealt with the Christians in Thessalonica as a father deals with his own children. Now, I'm aware that some of us may not have had good experiences of our mother and or father. So these verses, 7 and 11, may actually conjure up unhelpful images or connotations. But Paul is talking here about ideal parents, not flawed ones. A nursing mother intimately caring for and providing for her child. And a father who, verse 12, encourages and comforts his children and urges them to live lives worthy of God. These family references give us pointers as to how our relationships should be within the church and also for those we meet outside the church. Humble, caring, encouraging, comforting, and spurring each other on to live for Jesus. And in verses 9 and 10, Paul reminds the Thessalonians of the example he set when he was with them, working hard rather than taking advantage of them in any way, preaching the gospel and seeking to live a holy, blameless and righteous life. So how do we grow as followers of Jesus? By imitating Jesus and by imitating godly Christians. How will this happen? If we spend time with Jesus, and if we have relationships within the church that are like healthy family relationships, humble, caring, and encouraging, and if we're willing to share with one another 
not only the gospel, but also our lives. So success despite opposition, growth through imitation, and thirdly and more briefly, checking our motivation in verses 3 to 6. If you were here last Sunday evening for our, our prayer and worship evening, you'll have heard Chris reminding us from the first part of this letter to the Thessalonians that what is important is not so much what we do for God, our work for the Lord, but our motivation for doing it. We're not so much workers or endurers for God, but primarily believers in God, lovers of God, and hopers in God. Why did Paul want to share the gospel and help others to grow in their faith? Why would we want to? Because Jesus is worth it, and we want others to have that same belief, that same love, that same hope. In our passage this evening, the Apostle Paul continues that theme of checking our motivation for what we do for God, particularly when we're sharing the good news of Jesus with others. We see this especially in verses 3 to 6, which says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. So when we share the gospel, and when we help others to become followers of Jesus, or grow as followers of Jesus. We need to do it not with trickery or flattery, but with honesty and integrity. Not for subtly disguised self-gain, but with a clear conscience before God. And not for the approval of people or to improve our status, but to please God. I'm going to say that again. When we're Helping others to come to know Jesus or grow as followers of Jesus, we need to do it not with trickery or flattery, but with honesty and integrity. Not for subtly disguised self-gain, but with a clear conscience before God. And not for the approval of people or to improve our status, but to please God. These are the sorts of things that we want to be imitating. We can try to imitate all sorts of influential people in the world or attractive, famous, successful people. But that would be for our own gain, for our status and reputation. What God wants is for us to live in such a way that pleases him. To imitate Jesus and to imitate those who live to please God, such as the Apostle Paul and his companions, as we read here, or Christians we know who live to glorify God rather than themselves? Who are we setting as our role models? Do we maybe need to shift our focus a bit so that we can grow as followers of Jesus through imitation? Are we living lives ourselves that are worth imitating? Do we need to check our motivation for what we do for God? Is it to look good and win favor with people, or is it to please God? When our motivation is right 
and we're imitating the right people, then even in this hostile world where we may face opposition for our faith and our sharing of the gospel, God will use our efforts and use us to build his church in the world.